Beyond the, he- Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight with me, Tian Wei. A year since ChatGPT's release, it has brought the world hope and fear. It sparked an artificial intelligence research race and led to a global competition for top AI talents. So in this episode of AI and I, we take a look at how technology has emerged as an inspiration to the world, including even science fiction. In what ways could AI shape a future full of uncertainty? On this and more, I talk to Chinese science fiction writer Chen Qiufan. Now, your book, 2041, co-author with Kai Fu Li, has been such a bestseller in the world today. But what I want to ask you is not just limited to the book, but rather about your view on uh, AI, particularly ChatGPT. This is already celebrating one year. Yeah, interestingly, we share the same birthday on November the 30th. <laughs> so just one year anniversary. So it's such a coincidence, right? So after the year, we all experienced this kind of like chat GPT moment. So billions of users has this wonderful opportunity to interact with AI directly to witness its cap- cap- capacity of doing different things but also it triggered a lot of anxiety and even fear towards the future full of uncertainty. People have been debating about it, certainly related to open AI, the latest incidents about the ups and downs of the earlier founder of open AI. Now, and of course, corporate governance, obviously the debate related to it. So what is your view of the latest incident? In my opinion, is like the battle between um, efficient um, accelerationism versus uh, super love enlightenment. So this, this is two different kind of, you know, attitude towards AI. So first of all, in Silicon Valley, all those big tech companies, uh, tycoons, they all believe in effective accelerationism because they try to push the limit of technology and they believe this could be like solving a lot of problems right now we're confronting. But on the other side, like uh, alignment or alignmentism is talking about how we should regulate AI to be to be aligned with the human value and current uh, ethical um, framework and not to mention legal and law enforcement, so right. to speak. So this is a huge differences on the future. How do you see these different parallels of uh, development? One is about ethical, legal discussion. The other is about technologies itself. Meanwhile, corporate governance uh, at the same time, uh, the consumer awareness and so on. How do you see uh, these different uh, parallel passages are developing all at the same time? Are they? I think right now people see like part of the reality, right? So mm. it's not the whole picture of the reality. Of course, we're making progress on the uh, the Blantley um, uh, declaration um, um, raised by China, US, EU, like over 25 countries agreed on we have to identify the, the risk of AI development and we try to settle down uh, 
uh, based on local uh, law enforcement and regulation. And we have to mm-hmm. engage like internationally, like uh, from different perspectives to working together on studying and researching these AI issues and come up with some um, universal solutions which can adapt to different mm. society, which to me, it means a lot of progress right now. But meanwhile, of course, the big tech companies, they want to win the arm race, right? So everyone try to seize the time to train their big uh, large language model, and they try to upgrade it as, as fast as possible to occupy the market. So basically, mm. in the future, there might be several, maybe even less than five large language model could dominate the market. So that's the huge mm. problem, not on the technology, but on the capitalistic uh, framework right now we're holding mm. on. In terms of national security geopolitics, AI and AGI will be very much tapped into and taken advantage of. Now, how do you see um, this field will get into your work and will get into the development of technology, the discussion of ethics. Different countries, they have different understanding and different attitude towards technology development. Mm. Uh, for example, China will always be open and be being positive on the latest development of technologies because we think it's such a tool to uplifting our efficiency and and convenience of life right so it's kind of you know we see it in the bright side but for european because they have long history of being you know critical uh thinking critically about technology and all this kind of political system so naturally then intrinsically they are being suspicious about all these new things. So you can mm-hmm. see all this kind of resistance of attitude among all the society and not to mention the, uh, the, the, the common people. So I think this is a very interesting thing to think about that even among the human beings, like in different countries, we're not aligned with each other. So how can mm-hmm. we come up with a, a universal framework to mm. stay with each other. So this is a, a very reflexive question to be asked. So I don't have the answer yet, but I think in the future, we need more people from humanity department to help us to, to mm. trigger more you know, new inspiration. So you're saying that there needs to be more discussions about the shared humanity and how that idea will infiltrate into the discussion about the future of AI, whether it's governance or technology-wise or other fields. Is that what you're trying to indicate? Yes, I mean, like, mm. uh, in my perspective, from all the scientists, engineers, um, uh, technician people I encounter, they are holding to very single dimension of thinking of AI, so either good or bad. Mm-hmm. But I think it, the reality is more complicated rather than that. So we need more humanity mm-hmm. perspective, like anthropologists, sociologists, historian, maybe artists, to having all this conversation because there are so many different layers within this single question, whether mm-hmm. AI 
will do good or bad to human beings? I think it's not a simple question. And there's a lot of a synergy taking place among all of these very different factors as we speak. Yes, again, it's、mm. also a geopolitical question. And when we think about it in that way, so it become even more like brutal, even critical, because you think about it as a arm raising, as a cold war,、yeah. as a narrative war, maybe. So in the future, maybe. We will be attacked by different kind of ideological narratives, all、mm. generated by AI, and you couldn't even tell whether it's real or not by your bare eyes.、Mm. So that that could be a huge problem. Almost a year ago, I had been talking about the language itself, how it will impact and be impacted as a result of the development of AI, depending on the. Use of the language by the majority. Now, English, of course, was、uh, very much at the very beginning the pioneer language.、Uh, at the time when last time when we spoke, Chinese was not necessarily a very common language on ChatGPT, for example. Now we have seen some changes.、Uh, Chinese language users going on ChatGPT, for example, they have much better results. In terms of the answers they've been receiving and interacting,、uh, there are also Chinese version of、uh, ChatGPT, of course, different. Yet、uh, you see that being developed in a cultural environment like China, like Wen Xinyi and and some of the others. So, how do you see, you know, language vis-a-vis、uh, -vis the linguistic power、uh, and vis-a-vis -vis the development of technologies that are present? Today,、uh, related to the development of ChatGPT, like I ask、uh, the same question to different model, like OpenAI and Baidu One. So basically, they get me totally different answer. So maybe the、yes. opposite answer. So this is so fascinating that reminds us in the future. We are not living in the same world. We are not living in the same narratives. We are living in different kind of narrative, separated by all this AI could be. And what's what concerns me more is right now we try to using synthetic data to train the model because we have not enough human data、uh, mm -hmm. in the foreseeable future. So that means all of this data will be generated by AI and feedback to AI to to self train it. So that means we generate fake information from synthetic information. So this is even more worrisome to me, and that means maybe in the future, our kids, our next generation, they living in the world. A food of false,、uh, false news and misinformation, and they don't、mm. have the capability to identify which is which. So this is something I think not everyone、uh, fully aware of its、uh, risk yet. Do you feel we have been? Too much artificially trying to fragment our own societies, rather than putting enough efforts to look for the common ground. AI is just like other、uh, technology and media. 
it's amplifier. So if we ourselves were fragmented, so it basically grew up all this differentiation. So we see all these differences here and there. It just becomes something bigger than it's supposed to be, right? But mm, if we yeah. can use it to turn around the lens and we try to seek for the common ground, we see the humanity in common, maybe we can see a better side of humanity in mm. our society. Uh, in a time of dramatic change, at least seen by our generation, it's always wonderful to go to the history, to revisit, but at the same time to embrace life. Every details of it could shine in the heart and comes here as well. Yes, feel grateful and be humble as water as always. That's my earlier conversation with Chinese science fiction writer Chen Qiufan. Science Today, Technology Tomorrow, that shows the link between basic science and the advancement of technologies today. Basic sciences are the bedrock of discovery and tech innovations that have been reshaping the world. In just the several years, cutting-edge technology like artificial intelligence has become common and popular. Large language models behind things like ChatGPT and other text-generating chatbots are becoming household names. So what is the nature of AI today? Is it really intelligent? How intelligent will it be? On those and more, I asked Professor Michael Irvin Jordan these questions. He's one of the pioneers in machine learning, and he has been a world-leading researcher in the field of statistical machine learning for nearly four decades. Professor Jordan, what a pleasure to see you here in Beijing. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. We see, even over the past three years, the huge advancement of artificial intelligence. Now, you are being regarded as the most important scientist behind the machine learning. Tell me more about how you assess, uh, rather, the latest development. Well, the latest development is, is probably the large language models. Um, and uh, on the one hand, they're surprisingly good. It, it's true. They're able to generate very fluent language, and they can summarize things, uh, and they can do a bit of problem solving. Um, you know, that said, they're also very limited, and some of the limitations aren't going to go away that soon. Well, they don't do serious reasoning of the kind that you and I do. They don't think in the long term. They don't do much with counterfactuals, what-if statements. Um, a lot of hallucinations. And they have, well, that's another issue, but yes, they have, they, they're, they're as good as their data, and sometimes their data is not necessarily good um, or not necessarily relevant. And so that's also going to be something that will be interesting when these models are built on data over many, many years and they're continually maintained. Some of the data that they were used is out of date. It's wrong. But the model doesn't know that. It has no way of gauging that. Um, but still, it's not guided by truth. It doesn't experience the world in the way we do. And it doesn't know what's real out there. And um, you can help guide it and steer it, but it always can do things that is just wrong. And so I think it's best to think of it as a tool. It's just a very unusually powerful tool. Uh, the search engine was a tool. Uh, translation systems are a tool. And they just allow us to augment ourselves and do more than we could do. Um, and that augmentation uh, probably is going to be exciting. I, I watch children, and they're not particularly fearful of it. They, they embrace it. They want to do things with it. And, 
and they can build on top of that. That's what humans do. Humans are going to be smarter than this system, and they're going to know how to use it in interesting ways. Um, so uh, it's a language uh, model, um, and so that's why I think it's most exciting. It really gets at the core of what it means to be human, is to express ourselves in language. But it's a different form of language model. It's, it's a very uh, brute force, predictive model based on huge amounts of data. It didn't learn language the way we learned it, um, and it experiences if it, you know, uh, the, the, the semantics, the meaning in, in, a, different, uh, in a different formal language. It, it's not ours. Uh, so the, hopefully, my, my hope is that it's more like a partnership. It's a good, interesting new tool. Um, but you're right, it comes very fast. And so that's probably uh, half of the concern is that it's maybe too fast. Do you also see that it's too fast? The steam engine came and it was very, it could produce power. And so lots of jobs where it was human labor, you know, became not, uh, no, those were no longer valid jobs. For, but it took maybe a generation, 20 years. And in a generation, people adapt. They can tell their children, don't go into that job, go to this job. And right now, there are jobs that may disappear pretty quickly. In fact, some of the computer programming jobs are now a little bit in doubt because the, the chat GBT uh, can, can do some um, pretty good programming of you know, um, reasonably um, you know, widely employed um, programming acronyms. Uh, so, um, so some low-level jobs will disappear. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be new ones, but they'll be a little higher level. They'll, they'll use the tool to do more things up at a higher level. Uh, maybe an, a very concrete example is to summarize. So um, when it's, there are jobs where people's job is to sit in a meeting, and many people are talking, and they write a summary. Yeah. Um, and a summary doesn't have to be deep. It just has to be somewhat accurate. And, and, and that, I think, is something already the large language models are not too bad at. They can summarize lots of documents. And um, in fact, they can even do more than humans in the sense they could summarize 100,000 documents. Uh, so jobs that are based on just pure summarization of a meeting, those jobs are in doubt. But I'm not sure how many such jobs there are. But nonetheless, it's very fast. So a year ago, I wouldn't have said that was going to happen. Now, if that's your job, you better look for another way to, make, to make a, have a job. What do you see as the most important challenges and opportunities the latest large language model? I don't think they're right. I don't think we should be spending all of our energy thinking about the machines killing all of the humans. That's a science fiction thing to think about. We should talk about it a little bit. But to have it dominate is really a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, making these systems accurate, making them able to express uncertainty, making them adaptable to new situations. Those are the kind of things we need in domains like medicine or education, which are really important domains. And our systems do hallucinations, but they also don't even know how to say, I don't know. How can you have a system that doesn't know how to say, I don't know? That's a dangerous system. Uh, and it's hard to think about how to say, I don't know in the right way, or, or to say a probability in the right way, to have it be calibrated, to have it be scalable, to have it work over large amounts of time um, and not have to be adjusted and tuned every day by some human. Um, also to start to take into account the producers of the data that gave the value to that. That's part of the economics of these models, which is that they're now centralizing power, that the people who have the model have a lot of power, but they didn't build the model in the sense that the data came from real humans who created good writings, created music, created art, and that all went into the model and they've lost the economic value. That's not right. So thinking about ways to build these kind of models that actually reveal who participated 
and make them part of the value chain. Think of it, the broader way to say it is that this is a development of a new engineering field. And new engineering fields come around about every 50 years in human history. Well, let's think about the Industrial Revolution is not even, a, you know, think about civil engineering. That was maybe, I don't know, a couple of hundred years ago. Chemical engineering, 50 years ago. Electrical engineering, 100 years ago. Well, these are sort of the landmarks. And uh, it takes decades for those fields to emerge. So civil engineering was, how do I build a bridge so it doesn't fall down? Lots of bridges were built and they didn't, fall, they didn't work. And eventually, uh, you know, a field developed to manage like wind and sand and, and, and build tall buildings that don't fall down and so on. Um, chemical engineering allowed us to build medicines, to, to, to make medicine at scale, to make products that clean things, that to, uh, to put chlorine in swimming pools, to, you know, and build antibiotics. And then obviously electrical engineering is kind of easy, our lights, our, our heat, our, our computers. And those, those arose not like in a, in a few minutes of some great idea came. It was a few good ideas like electromagnetic equations, but also how do you build circuits? How do you bring, make devices inside a home that are safe? Uh, how do you make sure that everybody has access so the prices are in a you know, reasonable range? Um, how do you put communication on the waves? How do you do that in a fair way? How do you, just a huge number of things that touch all humans and required input, not just from engineers, but required input from everybody to make sure that it is, is, is a good thing mostly for humans. And of course there was always troubles, um, but humans worked it through. And I think that's exactly what's happening now. And so instead of building factories out in a field to make chemicals or building uh, electrical plants, we're building something like a transportation system that takes in data about where all the cars are and what's the availability and what are the needs of the transportation network and make sure that you know, good transportation happens or medical systems, that there are certain diseases, there's certain need for certain vaccines, there are certain populations that need to be protected, there are certain new developments that need to be spread, and so on and so forth. That should be a overall big network that is really effective. And that's like chemical engineering. That's like building a system. And so what I don't like about the AI thing is that it focuses on a single individual. It focuses on a single computer and making it smart. Really, the focus should be on the collective. And the collective is all humans, but it's humans and computers together. That's a collective. And you want to think on the goals of that collective. And I think there's many. Make it safe, make it reliable, make it understandable, make it fair. These are all not obvious challenges. And that's what I really want us to be focusing on in these years and not, not worrying about things that are, uh, are, are science fiction. Artificial intelligence, there are many areas, in fact, of potential. Uh, what we talked about is mainly uh, large language models, uh, but also uh, related to that, if not necessarily uh, different, with my humble opinion, it's also about the discussion between uh, what we are as human beings and how we are likely to have some kinds of harmonious, if possible, relationship with artificial intelligence. What is your opinion of it? Uh, especially artificial intelligence could be developed into an area where it can resemble uh, how human minds works and also probably the other way around it could help human minds to find out how they works. It, it, it could. I mean, I, I, when I and many people in the field started, 
we were thinking that way. We thought that we would help understand the brain and, and understand psychology, and that would feed into computers and vice versa. I don't think that's what's happened. No? I don't think so. Um, you know, I think the, before the current era, the biggest development in information technology was probably the search engine. The search engine changed all of our lives. It made things accessible to all of us uh, and allowed us to communicate in new ways. I would create a web page, you would find it, and there would be... The, the, and if you don't know some fact or some, you know, if you want to read some about some mathematical thing that you just heard about, you could, you could easily quickly access it. That changed humanity. Uh, and I would argue mostly for the good. Um, and the search engine was definitely not an imitation of human intelligence at all. And that's all the time we have for today. If you'd like to know more, you can always search for World Insight on our YouTube channel. Follow us on X and Facebook. I'm Tian Wei on behalf of the team. Thanks for being with us. Bye for now.